We acknowledge that we live and work on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that we benefit from the colonial structures and policies that remain in place today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people and recognise their ongoing struggles in dismantling those structures. During the First World War, strikes caused fuel shortages so severe that the Victorian government reopened the old brown coal mine near Morwell in the Latrobe Valley. And the state government has outlined a long-term plan to ensure the Latrobe Valley remains viable as its economy moves away from coal-fired energy. It's been the lifeblood of the Latrobe Valley for decades, but continual change in the power industry and the introduction of the carbon tax means it's time for a plan B. It's a month tomorrow since fire entered the Hazelwood coal mine in Victoria's east. Fire has been burning for weeks now, blanketing the township in a toxic smoke. The housing estates are literally just 50 metres away, so when the wind blows in the other direction, they take all of that in. The guillotine has finally come down on Australia's dirtiest power station, Hazelwood. It's caused jitters about electricity prices and raised questions about Australia's readiness for a low carbon future. We're not going to achieve net zero in the cafes, dinner parties and wine bars of our inner cities. The Latrobe Valley's coal mines could be filled with water and made into a tourist attraction to rival Italy's Lake Como. This is Coalface. Hi Josie. Hi Steph, how are you doing? I'm Fantastic. Oh yeah, I feel like, uh, is this mood lighting really bringing out the grease in my face? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you don't look greasy, but you sound greasy. I feel greasy. <laughs> so, welcome to Coalface. I'm Stephanie Sabrinskis, and I use she, her pronouns. And I, unfortunately, am Josie Hess, and I use they, them pronouns. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Do you know what? What? Just to bring up, because I don't think we've touched on this, I think last time we recorded, the Liberals were in power, and now... The Labour's is in power. The Labour! I know. I, I This is the first time in my voting life I've been genuinely happy. Like, I was happy <laughs> That's when... That's democracy for you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy when Julia Gillard got in because it was like a woman Prime Minister and that's... And a redhead. And a redhead. Yeah. Nice change. But <laughs> this is just amazing. After nine years of the Liberal government, we have Labour and hopefully we'll see some climate action with the extra green seats. Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of like climate... Not just inaction, but like destruction. Every the koala is officially on the endangered species list as of I think last week or the week before and yeah it's it's fucked humans are fucked <laughs> yay for that but on yay. the plus side maybe that will be undone mm, I don't know maybe well it, hopefully we'll see hopefully it just won't get worse <laughs> yeah okay. that's all we can hope for that's what makes us hopeful is like yes, not getting worse not getting worse yeah um, speaking of not getting worse what are we learning about this week so this week we're going to be speaking with Hayley Shistokas and we're going to be... She's stokish. She's smokers. I love her. What is that? Where's that from? Uh, that is a Lithuanian name. <gasps> so else is Lithuanian is it, it might be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we will touch on the Lithuanian of it all. Um, but yeah, so we're going to speak to Hayley about uh, a flow, Friends of Latrobe Water, mm -hmm. and some of the factors that will be affected if the plans for pit lakes to be made out of the mines will go ahead. Right, so just let me get this straight. We've got these holes, mm -hmm. giant coal holes, just like everywhere around here. Currently, not signed off, not fully, but like they want to turn them into these lakes. Is yes, that right? the proposition from the mine operators mm -hmm. currently is to turn all three of the mines into pit lakes. Can I swim in them? 
you will probably be able to probably. swim in them. Probably, so they're not like pits of acid. <laughs> well, hopefully Let's not. discuss. Yeah, so there, okay. there is some pollution to discuss and right. those kinds of things as well. But that is the proposition of the moment. It's okay. not signed off on. For Hazelwood Mine, it does need to be filled with probably water. Probably but... water, not poo or mine. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so there is, you know, the, the walls of the mine need to be... Um, Right, like Rhonda taught us about yeah. stabilised. Stabilised, right. that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. So they need to be stabilised and the best way to do that is with water. Okay. But they're suggesting the proposition is for all three of those lakes. So many lakes. And so much water. Okay. So where is that going to come from? Right, and that's what our friends at Flow right. are all about. That's what good. they're that's all about. someone thinking about it because honestly I was like, yay, a pond. Yeah, so exactly. So we do have to think about the effects oh. for the water table. So that is what we're <laughs> going to be talking about. But I thought before we paddled into this episode. <laughs> Are only going to do wet stuff? Maybe. All, only wet all the time. You know, I well, love a good pool. For the bit that I scripted, then yeah. <laughs> so before we paddle into this episode, I thought that it's episode four. We should dip our toes in for a little temperature check with our audience. <laughs> oh, that is stunning. Well, well thank you. Well done. Um, so I thought we'd check in. So we've done four episodes to kind of know what we're about here, making coalface. Um, what do you think? We'd love to know. So maybe if you could give us a rating or a view on whatever podcast platform you listen on, that would be amazing. If you hate something, tell us you hate it because yeah. we'll fight you on the internet. Absolutely. Um, internet if you love it, please like validate us. We're like hungry validation gremlins. So yeah. And oh, you can even email us if you're so inclined at coalfacepodcast at gmail.com. This is so good. Yeah. It's so professional. <laughs> well, thank well you. done. <laughs> Um, and yeah, my, my intro has been thrown off by our free intro. Oh no, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, let's go, let's go. I was going to say, as you may have guessed by my saturation of tepid water puns. <laughs> and, um, we're going to be talking water with the incredible Hayley Shostokas. So let's have Hayley introduce herself. Please play clip one. My name's Hayley Shostokas. Uh, I am chairperson of the community group Friends of Latrobe Water or FLOW. And I'm also the Latrobe Valley community organizer for Environment Victoria. Something fun about myself is I am a trained chef and also a mushroom farmer. So I've got to quickly do a little plug for um, Haley's family business. Her family run the Flooding Creek Fungi, which is an urban mushroom farm. How cool is that? That's so cool. I was just thinking like her interesting fact is like mushroom and chef. Like, do you think she's just making constantly at home the best mushroomy meals definitely as someone who follows her insta <laughs> i can definitely say i've All seen mushroom some content amazing mushroom food they grow really cool mushrooms and i've actually been to visit the farm before no it has had a facelift since then and they've expanded a little bit but yeah they sell their mushrooms at like all the local markets and they sell them to gourmet restaurants and yeah oh god i'm always really so cool. fascinated when people have like real lives <laughs> yeah real life like jobs. Like, yeah amazing amazing so that is very cool i was reconnected with Haley a few years ago from an activist friend of ours but our families have known each other for years because we're both lithuanian so what are they, is there a lot of lithuanians in the valley well there kind of is because as part of like the displaced persons program you could choose to go i think there was two options given for lithuanians one was come and work in the mines in Latrobe Valley 
and the other was to work on cane farms, sugar cane farms in Queensland. There might have been a third, but those are the ones that come to mind because that was the options that yeah. uh, my family were given. So uh, quite a few Lithuanians came to live in the Latrobe Valley. In fact, the street that my dad grew up on, Monte Crescent, that used to be like full of Lithuanian families. Oh, so yeah. That's so cute. It is, isn't it? I asked about Haley's personal connection to the valleys. If you'd like to play clip two, she was going to tell us about her grandpa. My grandfather arrived in uh, Yulon North in 1947. Uh, he was a displaced person coming from Lithuania after World War II and he came on the first boatload of people um, as part of the DP scheme to fill the need for labour in growing industry here. So he started his first few years on a shovel in the Yulon coal mine. And then um, after his uh, time being indentured there, he worked as a loco driver until he retired in 1990. Pretty familiar story. You might want to say that migrants helped build the Latrobe Valley. Like, you, yeah, you might yeah, want to. You might want to. Every time I hear indentured though, that doesn't sound great. Indentured servant. I well, know. it's it's not. And when you think about like, all of the lack of workplace health and safety regulations that would have been in place when your grandpa worked in the mines and when mine did and when Haley's did. Like, yeah. my grandpa was deaf. Like, he went deaf from not having proper hearing protection. Oh, no. And so many people died working in the mines. And, yeah, so indentured, indentured I feel, is the right word. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Is it like, I don't know what that means. Like, I just sound like it's always connected with servant. Yeah, I think of indentured servant. Yeah. I think it means um, like that... beholden to it? Yeah, beholden to... We could probably Google it. If you're an it. indentured servant and that's incorrect, <laughs> let us know. Hit us up in the comments below. <laughs> if you're allowed. Yes, if you're allowed. Yeah, so Haley has a similar family history to us, but she grew up in Yellow North. So I asked her about growing up in Yellow North and what that was like. So if you want to play... Ah, it's my favourite town! <laughs> Clip three. Um, yeah, I grew up in Yellow North. My dad grew up there as well, so third generation growing up in Yulon North, on the edge of the Yulon Power Station and the Yulon Coal Mine. Uh, I went to Yulon North Primary School and uh, our logo on our school uniform is actually a power station and I kind of look back at that now and I think there's a little bit Simpsons, you know, to have that as our logo and, and that's still the logo today. What do you think about that? Oh my god. Are we Springfield? Is the Latrobe yeah. Valley Springfield? We have to put one of those up on Instagram. I want to see what that looks like. Yeah, I... We are. We, we said this before where it's like those stacks and Homer Simpson stacks. Same yeah, thing. They are I, totally like, the same. That is the symbol of power. It is. And we I just think that's... school. Come on. I'm like, my school logo, I don't know if you remember what yours was, um, but because they still have the same logo today as when I went to school, but it's like a circle with a cross on top because I went to a Catholic God. primary school. But then in the bubble, it's just like kids playing in the playground and kicking a ball and playing Come jump on. rope and stuff. So I, I don't know. That's kind of what I thought a logo should look like, yeah. <laughs> but having the, the coal stacks or the steam stacks That's is pretty wild. Like, let's get on that shit. Yeah. I think my primary school was like, I went to commercial road, which was in a super old, something rather house like probably schoolhouse to be honest yeah, old, yeah. like the heydays of Morwell. but i'm pretty sure its logo was a picture of itself how up itself is that like, it wasn't, <laughs> well, I think it wasn't that a good school, but like no offense but it was like a logo of itself yeah weird yeah um i don't know who designed school logos i feel like we're offending some art teacher right now maybe just like, i did that <laughs> i'm pretty sure it would have been like the parish community at probably. my my primary school yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd get your hot take on that. I freaking, I have to see it. I yeah, have to we'll, it. we'll put it on yeah. Instagram for sure. Um, if you would play the continuation clip of Growing Up in Your Lawn North, please. Well, we used to have our school fates and I have vivid memories of the double-decker bus arriving and me and my little sister in particular, I have this, that I've been looking at this photo recently of us sitting on the double-decker bus riding down to the brown coal mine on this tour and they, they were like these trips to sort of show it off and yeah, show us about brown coal generation but I think it was just so much a part of growing up. Like we used to ride down the old road. It's this little pocket that sort of runs alongside the Latrobe River and the Yulon Power Station. And me and my siblings used to ride our bikes down there and we would get all the way to the end. And and, and at the end, it's a big dead end and it looks out over Yulon Power Station. And we kind of always had this sort of foreboding like Mordor feel as we would look out over it. So I think even though climate change and, and like climate impacts, they weren't something that we were talking about back then. They weren't in my field of understanding that like this was a problem. Coal was just what people had always done. It was always there. I, I also have memories of like, you know, laying in bed at night and, and thinking, oh, what's that noise? And it wasn't so much that there was noise. It was actually the fact that the power station had been turned off. So it was the, the, the not having the humming there that I could notice. It's just, it's just this enormous thing that's always been there. And I suppose that that's why it's really hard for folks that live in the Latrobe Valley to imagine what it's like for them to not be there, you know, as they're closing down and we're talking about rehabilitation because there's just so massive. I want to drink those stories up. Yeah. That's like, okay. I have to, like, I have fully shivers of the concept of Mordor. Mm. I remember when that movie came out and there was, oh, I think I read it before, but I didn't see the visual of it, but it looks like fucking Mordor. It really does. Like, if you yeah. go and you have a look and there's, like, you know, if it was, like, an independent movie, it would have, like, a drone sound underneath it where it's kind of like, <laughs> it's, like, emanating some kind of weird energy at you. I don't know. Come yeah. On. It is. It, uh, it's a great story. Yeah. I loved all, everything that Haley was talking about <sighs> growing up. Now, I just realized I've come into this with some assumed knowledge. Ooh. For people who do not know, Yalorn North is the town that was next to Yalorn, the town that no longer exists. And it literally sits over the mine. So that is why it features so highly in the Yalorn North Primary School's logo. And they have the Brown Coal Museum there. And yeah, they have fates and excursions, as Haley just said, too. To drive to your lawn from here, too, like you go across and through past the power station, and then you're basically following the perimeter of the hole. So yeah. Like the town has kind of got that fence where you can't get any closer because it's a fucking cliff. It is. Into it's, a hole. it's wild. We've driven along yeah. there and done some filming, and yeah. it's lots of fun. Now, I wanted to touch on what Haley was saying about the sound. I believe Wendy mentioned that in her interview as well i'm not sure it made the cut into the episode but do you hear sounds of the power station yeah yes so um the most uncommon is something when it sounds like something's wrong and it doesn't sound like an explosion but it's kind of, i think it's gas or no sorry mm -hmm. it's steam it's like steam it's like a sorry i spat everywhere but, <laughs> but it's like yeah you definitely hear that yeah and then i do think that there's kind of like a it's not a crunching it's like a low level like grumbling yeah or something. and it's like but you kind of get so used to it that yeah, I think that's really powerful to think like it's weirder when it's not there. I had this realization when I was doing this cut that there's a sound that I've always been able to hear at my house and like where I grew up, which is nearby where I live at the moment. And I thought it was the highway, but it's not the highway. It's the power station. Oh, I thought all night it was just like cars going past, but it's a constant it's kind of 
low grade. Yeah, yeah, with a grumbly sound. Yeah, so I assume that's like because they have the giant water thingies and like this is this the steam making sound. <laughs> like, what is that? If you're a power station, let us know in the comments below. So I'm gonna lead us into the next clip now. So Haley expressed um, that her teenage years were similar to ours in that she shared our penchant for boredom and mischief. So we've got a couple of clips about that. Um, I wanted to add that we actually I Haley and I went to the same um, high school, Luana Secondary College. I know, right? <laughs> um, but we, she's a little bit older than me, and I was friends with her brother, which is a, just a fun random guy. fact. <laughs> so after school, though, after high school, Haley lived and worked as a chef around Gippsland until she was twenty-three, and then what do you think she did? Did she get the fuck out? She got the fuck yeah. out. Yeah, she went traveling around the world <laughs> and had heaps of cool experiences that are doing that. Uh, and then she's moved back like us. So really right. similar Was story. it mushrooms everywhere? Like around the world? Uh, I don't know that she was that into mushrooms <laughs> okay. back then. I didn't okay, ask. Okay. But yeah, the, um, the the family business is only open right. in the last couple okay, of okay. years. Um, but yeah, so I asked Haley about um, how she felt when she moved back. And she mentioned a couple of terms that I hadn't heard in a hot minute, um, but I'm sure you're going to be familiar with. So if you want to play those clips for us, please, Tracy. I can actually yeah. resonate with a lot of the things that you guys have talked about when you also talked in the first podcast about just kind of like being bored, not having much to do. So what do you do? You go and you drink and you, yeah. you get into trouble, right? Like that was my experience here too. And I also felt a lot of shame. Like I went to school in Moi and Moi like had a bad rap, like teenage mums and moccasins, you know, outside of here. And that that's pretty unfair considering the sacrifices this community has made for our health, for our landscape, for the rest of the state to be powered and live in prosperity. I see you got something there, Josie. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Moe moccasins. Yeah. I haven't heard that in so long. I would love to know if anyone knows like the history of that term. I obviously know it's like it's a it's like a criticism because you yeah. know, like again, this is I'm just this is my teenage thought process this is mm -hmm. absolutely not what I think now but I resonate a lot with what she said about shame I'm from Morwell and we honestly would position ourselves somehow as better than Moe there was like a like a, mm -hmm. a thought process of like well at least we're not mo moccasins Moe even though we all also wear moccasins yeah I know it's, just, it's bananas why we felt the need to like one up or there was that inter yeah. intertown in the valley competition but yeah I, I I resonate so strongly with the idea of shame and wanting to get get away from this yeah. place because of everything it represents. Absolutely. And I did an interview recently. Um, and as soon as I said that I was from Moi, the moccasins thing came up and that was from like a 70 year old guy. Oh my God. And I think um, the best I can put it together is that it's come from um, picking like having, oh, sorry, not picking on. It's come from this like shame of single mums because single yeah. mums in the seventies were moved to Moi right. um, into commission housing there. And so um, that's where that whole thing's come from. Like you're wearing your mockies to the supermarket. And so it's really just shitting on single mums. And as we can see from our latest ministerial candidate, nothing fucking wrong with single mums. Like, of course yeah, there wasn't anyway, but yeah. you know, the child of a single mum is currently the prime minister of our country, which is wild. So shut the fuck up everyone. About yeah. Moccasins. Shut up. I also feel like it's obviously hugely classist, but it's interesting in the last 20 years, the casualization of, outfits like everyone yep. now wears like athleisure and it's almost like a status symbol to wear totally that kind of comfort clothes so really single mums and moe ahead of the curve exactly like, and also like ugg boots are fucking expensive moccasins yeah. are fucking expensive yeah. so if you're really being classes pick a cheaper slipper yes come on <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i really really feel 
And it's so, I mean, I bet like every one of us, like, or so many people down here have that yeah. sense. And it's like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's internalized classism. It, yeah. And yeah, so I, I I wanted to say, wanted to talk about classism with that note, which we've, we have talked about. And um, also like the moving away and realizing how unfair the stereotypes is. I think Haley has summarized that beautifully in saying that um, for the sacrifice that our communities have yes. made for the rest of the state to live in electricity comfort. It's just another way of making people not care about the class below them because then, you know, yes. at the risk of their own privilege, which oh. we, don't, we shouldn't have this. Um, this shouldn't be an idea at all. Every, there is, should be enough for everyone um, without there having to be like there could be yeah there could be <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right and another term that I hadn't heard in a while was valley girl oh. so I remember that being like a, a big insult as well and then I, for a little bit I tried to reclaim it absolutely uh, that shop it opened there yeah, was a valley girl that shop with like yeah clothes yeah and like um is this hilariously like ironic I think it, it still exists somewhere absolutely like it it's, does. It's in yeah it was that, like fucking whatever gardens like that like out of oh suburbs. fountain fountain, fountain lakes Lake. no fountain that's from Captain and kim, kim. But essentially the real <laughs> yeah one. um fountain gate yes. was the real one yeah <laughs> and that still exists i i just finished watching Kath and kim <laughs> so good oh so good um yeah so let's uh hear Haley's take on valley, valley girl. girls I think for a long time I tried to escape the the idea of like being a valley girl, you know, and I and it took going away from this place and getting involved in, you know, fighting dangerous fossil fuel expansions and projects in other parts of the country to really tap into and connect like what it was to be here. And I, I have, you know, worked with communities and First Nations people, yeah, to try and stop these dangerous projects elsewhere. And now I've kind of come home and I'm like, wow, there is this huge piece of work to do here in terms of shifting away from coal and, and finding, you know, new industries and new opportunities for our community. Like Victoria has a huge role to play in leading the rest of the state and we're, we're well positioned and the Latrobe Valley is well positioned to be a renewable energy leader because we have the infrastructure here. We don't have the best solar opportunities, but because the grid is here, that actually makes us a good candidate for building that. And so when we're talking about, you know, folks not having jobs or, or needing opportunities, there's, there is actually massive opportunities here. Another opportunity that we have in terms of building new industries and, and building on the skills and the expertise that we already have is in rehabilitation of the mines. I love how Haley is extremely passionate in every way that she talks. Like she'll be saying an, an anecdote and end it uh, in some really uplifting political commentary. Yeah. Um, and as you may have garnered from those previous clips, Haley was has been involved in activism for quite some time before returning to the valley. I asked Hayley how she got involved in activism. So I was working as a chef in the Sunshine Coast and one day on the Triple J news, a, a um, blast came out that Greg Hunt, the then Federal Environment Minister, had approved the dredging of the Great Barrier Reef to expand the Abbott Point export coal terminal. Um, and then the dredge material from there was gonna actually be dumped back on the reef. And I think that for me, that was really that moment when I realized that our, 
our government in, and in particular our federal government weren't just not taking action on climate, but they were actually doing everything in their power to thwart it and advance more fossil fuel projects despite all the evidence saying that we actually needed to slow them down. And to this day, our federal government is still approving more fossil fuel projects, more expansions and committing ecological vandalism essentially to make a profit. So Haley's got really great commentary about how our government is propping up a dying industry. So let's just play that clip now. Fossil fuel subsidies, we're propping up a dying industry. And instead of propping up a dying industry, we actually need to be investing in supporting workers to move to new renewable industries. And, and not just renewable energy, there's other things we need to be investing in. We need to be investing in health, education, manufacturing, all these kinds of things. But our, our leadership currently is so short-sighted at a time when we desperately need leadership. Just a quick note, this interview took place before the 2022 um, federal election, oh as God. we've discussed. So it's like we've moved forward in time. I know. Time travels. We literally <laughs> have. So yeah, hopefully we see some changes with this new government, though I'm not expecting miracles. It's really just small changes, like maybe don't dredge the reef. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know yeah. You it's already happened. Like a but... thing and it's like dying and like yeah. maybe don't. And on that reef note, I wanted to um, take you on a little trip down memory lane, Josie. <gasps> That's my favorite place. I know. So do you remember being in primary school in the 90s of course yes because yeah. i was in primary school in the 90s right <laughs> and do you remember all of those amazing like tv shows that we had like captain planet was one of them do you remember like the a little bit of litter goes a long long way song and no. all those this things this is why i can't recycle isn't it <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> oh my god but, but i do remember captain planet for sure and like what do you remember about the great barrier reef from primary school I feel like we definitely would have done a project on it at some point and been like, but I don't know if we were looking at it that it was dying. I think it was more like, it's awesome. Well, yeah, that's it. So I, I in the 90s growing up, I remember how being told how incredible the Great Barrier yeah. reef, reef was, that is one of the seventh wonders of yes. the world yeah, and yeah, all yeah. this amazing stuff. And we had all of these TV shows and pop culture that was telling us like to do the right ocean thing. Ocean Girl. Ocean Girl, yeah. <laughs> there was this real like push on ocean related things and... Um, then they're wondering why as adults, like millennials are all fucked off that people are trying yeah, to dredge the barrier so reef. Right. But okay, but what, where my mind goes is like, what psychologically <laughs> happened to them where they're like, you know what? I hate the reef. Why? Money. Yeah, but you can get money from tourism from going to the reef. But you can't get as much money from Actually, tourism as you I can mean, get from dredging feel it. feel free to fact check that. But yeah. like, tourism's forever and mining is like a, an, a, mo like a momentary boom. So, like, is it e economically better? Like, isn't tourism... I mean, I play a lot of Civ, and tourism's, like, ranked higher than mining what? in terms of, like, economy-boosting things. They, so, what? like, yeah. it just feels like they hate fish or something. <laughs> what it makes me think is, like you're saying, it is a boom. It's a lot of money quickly. And for whoever the mine operator is, then, you know, you're an instant billionaire. Or sure. from doing so the, again, a project like that. Thing where you're like, just me and my life and I guess fuck everyone else. I think so, because in my mind, tourism helps more people. For sure. Um, than, yeah, than... The one kind. Exactly. Is it, but again, like, why so selfish? 
I don't know. Someone but slapped I just love that um, Haley's call to action story involves the Great Barrier Reef. And I remember around that time being outraged as well. And I'm still outraged by what we're doing to the reef. And, you know, all of these other important landmarks that we have or sacred sites and everything. But it's, it's, it's terrible. Out of curiosity, while we're talking about the 90s, which Spice Girl were you? Okay, none. None? None. none. My uh, hello little sister... My sister was obsessed Yeah. At Spice Girls party. I went as Jonathan Davis from Corn. <laughs> and now you're non-binary. <laughs> yes. Did you see that coming? No, I Amazing. absolutely now obviously have a very, you know, queer appreciation for Spice Girls. Yeah. At the time I was like, no. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Which I, one were you? I was ginger, obviously. <laughs> I was Jerry. Say ginger. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and now I have red hair and I think that's like happened to a lot of people um, from <laughs> our age. Happened? It's like a millennial curse. It, it really is. If you were Jerry, then you definitely have dyed red baby, hair. you have those two little yeah. pigtails yeah. still, like still. All right. So we've learned a lot about Haley's history and some of her connection to the mining industry with the grandparents and some of her activism and some really cool anecdotes about growing up in Yellow North. So now Haley is go- going to tell us about Friends of Latrobe Water. At the end of 2019, I moved home to Gippsland after quite some years away. And I I met with a few other folks in the region who were sort of working, you know, in the the coal space, the climate space and and work around the valley. And what we identified that there was just this, this huge gap in terms of having a community voice and representation on mine rehab. There's just, just this gargantuan problem of what we do with these three mine voids. So, so we formed our group Friends of Latrobe Water and our focus is on mine rehabilitation and uh, the use of water in mine rehabilitation and the impacts that the coal-fired power industry is having on our waterways and, and potentially will continue to have through the process of mine rehab. Mine void. <laughs> Gargantuan. It's really, uh, and maybe this speaks to how much you're often gaslit, but like, it's very nice to hear someone speak about it in the way that we understand it, where it's like, this seems like a fucking huge problem. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it seems really bad. <laughs> it does seem really bad and really big and hard to manage. Gargantuan. Very good words. So Flo have been working on a few different submissions in a few different areas around um, water, including mine rehabilitation, coal ash dams, water strategy, and coal to hydrogen. You can find out more about these submissions on their website, which will pop into the show notes. But for the purpose of our episode we're going to hone in on mine rehabilitation coal ash dams and the true cost of water so (laughs) i know i know you love water um so water plays a big part in not only cold coal-fired power generation but it's also going to play a massive part in rehabilitation especially if the proposition to turn the mine voids into pit lakes goes ahead so we're going to hear from Haley some of the issues that turning the Hazelwood, Yalorn and Luoyang mines into pit lakes will leave us with. Let's go, Haley. Let's go. Ultimately, I think that the biggest problem that we face with turning the, the mines here in the Latrobe Valley, the three mines into pit lakes, is that we do not know where that water is going to come from. In the instance of Hazelwood Mine, um, for example, th- there is a really clear, clear-cut case for why water needs to be used it, to achieve stability of that mine and also to avert potential f- further fire risk. 
But the amount of water that needs to be used to fill the Hazelwood mine to a full pit lake is greater than the Sydney Harbour. And then every year it's going to require many, many gigalitres to actually fill up that evaporation. So at the moment, the operators want to use um, water from natural sources. But then, you know, as you start to add in your lawn wants to use water, Loyang wants to use water. We're in a drying climate and the river is the rivers are already suffering. The Gippsland lakes are already suffering. They need more environmental flows in order to achieve proper health, which they're not at now. We actually can't afford to be taking water from our natural sources. One of the big issues around this is that that water from our waterways and and natural sources isn't actually valued properly. The, The cost of buying, the cost of setting up alternative water sources, so we're talking about recycled water from um, Melbourne through the Eastern Treatment Plant or another desalination plant, is, is, is are enormous. So of course the operators don't want to pay the large cost for the water. They want to take the cheaper way, as you would. The, the cost of water needs to be valued properly. I first, before we head into talking about that clip, I just want to give a shout out to the other members of Flow uh, for all their amazing advocacy. And I also wanted to give a special mention to Tracy Anton, uh, who was kind enough to provide me with some additional information for my research. So she emailed me some further info on the true cost of water, and I've selected some bits for you to read. (laughs) I was going to be like, what is it, like $2? Like how much? (laughs) Well... We're going to get into that. But first, if we can um, get you to have a look at these bitties and oh, read those. It's happening. Yeah. Okay. So does this need like a setup or do I just read them straight out? You can out? just read them straight out. So this is about the true cost of water, people. Culturally, water feeds the arteries of life on land. Oh, all life on land. With life unable to exist without clean water. But water is not costed for its true value. Rather, it is a commodity to be manipulated by government and industry with confidential deals made and no transparency. Oh, that sounds real bad. Real bad, yeah. Our rivers are in poor health with insufficient flows to maintain essential ecosystem survival. And this is in bold, you guys. So, Approximately 100 billion litres of water is removed from our Gippsland water storages to service Latrobe Valley coal power generation. Oh, that's too much. That is so much. And oh. as you said, um, it's like really kind of a Mad Max universe. It's perceived as free, right? Like it's like air. I feel like, well, as we've discussed, yeah. not actually free. But don't you feel like, like, I don't know about you, but I remember going like Melbourne show and my parents being like, I will not pay for water. I will not pay for water. Water should be free. We'll bring our water from home. Like there's just this idea that it's yeah. free and just running and it's lush. You know that river that goes when you drive to Lake Centrance and it's like, I, th- I don't know where we can look up what river that is, but like over my lifetime, that went from like a river yeah. to nothing it's just rocks well that is part of the gippsland lake system i'm pretty sure so the moel river system feeds into that that because it goes all the way out it's dry as fuck it is yeah and like we had the millennial drought where everything was quite dry and we witnessed that firsthand that sounds like when i don't get sex yeah (laughs) the millennial drought oh my god it totally (laughs) could be yeah (laughs) um but yeah to expand on um the passages that i just you had had you read water is really bloody important and we can't survive without it there's a pervasive idea that coal-fired power generation is cheap and it wouldn't be considered cheap if we if we considered the cost to the environment and if water was valued correctly when the state owned the power industry water entitlements which are which is the amount of water that is given to the power industry and the cost that it's given to them at were subsidized at a very cheap rate 
and it wasn't changed when the industry was privatized. So they're getting like historic water prices oh. for um, operating. Like rent control, but water. Yes, for their Ew. water. So water advocates um, claim that the state charges coal miners half a cent per <gasps> kiloliter of water. How what fucked is, is that? <laughs> so one kiliter of water is a thousand liters. And, and I'm the... supposed to drink two liters a day. Is <laughs> yeah. That correct? That's oh, you're supposed to drink seven glasses a day, I think. I don't know no, how I'm many so that thirsty. is. <laughs> yeah, I'm thirsty. But too. yeah, so that's so much water. It is a lot what of water for half a cent. So down. now I've got to add Tax that... the rich. Water yeah. should cost more. It well, it should cost them more, yes. Yeah. Um so I've got to add that there isn't transparency on this figure, but it hasn't been denied. So their water advocates estimate that that's what's being paid and it hasn't been challenged as incorrect. So yeah. there's no, with no transparency, there's no accountability. To put that cost of water into perspective, oh, this I is really going to blow your mind, Josie. <laughs> um, Gippsland Water charge households how much, have a guess, how much do you reckon you pay a kiloliter for water? My You're like, I've never looked at it. Yeah, I know. I feel like my water bill is like $70 or whatever it comes. Yeah. So I looked at my water bill yeah. and I'm getting charged $2.14 <gasps> per kiloliter of water. More than the... So the they're the getting, they're being paid half a cent what for water. Fuck? We are getting paid around $2.14. Yeah. We're people and yeah. No. So this, and we do not use a hundred billion um, liters of water. I mean, <laughs> I do my best when I wash all my sheets all the time. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Nowhere near, Nowhere near that. So if the coal industry had to pay the amount that we pay for water, it wouldn't be cheap to make it. That so is a scandal. It is. It, it really is a, scam, a scandal. And also, so there's been things that have been done to try and, um, curb this or whatever. So the Gippsland water factory was built to treat. Sounds nice. And it does. The Gippsland water factory. Go get some tasty like homemade water. Yes. So, well, it was built to treat and recycle sewage water for the oh, industry. less nice. Less, less nice. nice. But, you know, if it's all it's doing. So what happens with water is that it's used to cool down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The steamies. The steam. So, um, but it's used twice in the process of creating Oh my god! I electricity, wrote creating electricity. Yeah. <laughs> What's that thing they do? Wait, what are we, what are we talking about? about? Power. Yeah. Yeah. This plant was made with the intention to supply the coal industry with recycled water. However, the contract price for fresh river water between the state and the coal miners is so low that it's cheaper for the Latrobe, Latrobe Valley coal miners to continue business as usual and not actually use Ew. the Gippsland Water Factory. So that. We Who's yeah. in charge of that? The Ministry for Water? The, the, well, the government oh, the and, government. yeah, the state government the and the federal government. government. <laughs> and just that it's wild that you think about how much the cost of living have gone up since, yeah. what did we find out? 94 was when the SEC um, sure. closed down. Yeah. So that's when privatization happened. Like cost of living have gone up so much since then for all people, but for the coal industry to still be being paid this rate. Yeah, um, and then they get then. to make the argument that it's a cheap form of power. Yeah, no shit, it's subsidized to crazy exactly. shit. Exactly. It's wild. Mm. Yeah, any other questions on the water thing while we're here? The cost of the true cost of water. I, I guess like more a comment on just like it's so overtly corrupt. It how, is. How come it's not more widely known? I guess there's no reason for people to know. Yeah, I I suppose so. Um and I think that I think everything 
with the with this with rehabilitation and with the coal industry and with any kind of environmental um, destruction or pollution or anything when there isn't transparency something's going on like and yeah. it's, it's smoke, corrupt it's fire, right? exactly yeah so i think we need to know what the rates of water are without a doubt for the coal industry and yeah we people just need to be informed <laughs> i'm guessing this is where this is heading but without a true cost of water how can they calculate the cost of filling those fucking lakes they well can't. they can't and that's the that's the question as well so the coal fire power station operators they want to use their subsidized water to fill those pit lakes too which is going to be way cheaper and if you think about the environmental devastation that is going to happen if our waterways are destroyed it's like it's it's dead animals it's dead plants it's like we do not like we do not we do like. not like it no. all so um <laughs> let's learn a little bit about the Morwell river system and the effects that turning all three mines into pit lakes will have on the Morwell river system so in order to fix the problems that we've created by digging these enormous holes we're actually going to be creating other problems to fix them so we're, we're kind of in this conundrum and we have to really balance out what are the impacts with fixing it for example what are the impacts to the water um, that we're going to be taking so I guess one of the things that could happen and this is what's being proposed by Onji at the moment once the Hazelwood pit is filled they will divert the Morwell River to run into the Hazelwood mine uh, to fill up the evaporation and then it would have a flow out to allow water to escape but then your lawn actually has that river also running through their pit. The Mall River diversion at the moment, which failed last year and has had many iterations of repair, is actually built on dispersive soil. So the idea of having two separate pit lakes that hold a river in place isn't going to work in the long term. And the community needs to know that ultimately the Mall River will not end up as a major tributary to the Latrobe River and the Gippsland Lakes. So we will lose one of our major rivers, which is feeding fresh water in for the health of the river system. You know, the normal reaction to losing a major river would be like, we don't want that to happen. But at the moment, we're trying to understand if actually that's the worst outcome or if that didn't feed into the Hazelwood mine, what is the impact of having a massive pool of stagnant water that doesn't have an in and out flow? So that's really been a lot of our group's work is trying to understand what are the implications of all these different options? Let's thoroughly assess all of them, put them out on the table, explain them comprehensively to the community with the limitations of, about what's actually feasibly possible. Um, and then let's make an educated choice because ultimately it's going to have to be a trade-off in one way or another. But we need to make sure that everybody gets to participate in that decision making and it doesn't come down to the operator's pocket what they're willing to spend on it. The, the biggest block is where is the water going to come from? If we had a desalination plant of an, or recycled water available, I think it would be a lot easier to make these decisions. One, one thing that is critical to understand is the cumulative impact of rehabilitating all three of these mines and the different variations within that. So the Latrobe... Um, Latrobe Valley Regional Rehabilitation Strategy set out to do that, but we don't think that that has adequately determined and, and given us enough information to decide these things. I see you have some feelings there. 
I'm not thinking about I got stuck on a stagnant, a giant stagnant pool of water. So yeah. I'm just imagining like, have you ever done that thing in summer where you like leave your pool? Like if you get a block pool or I know you've got your little swimming thing. Yeah. And then they're like, you leave it and you're like, eh, I'll come back. I'll get to it. Yeah. And then like a couple of months later, it's like literally just like mesquites. And like, yeah. it's awful. It's awful. And that's what like, okay. So Morwell and the land here has given itself to power a nation. And now we're going to give it some filthy, big gaping stagnant, Swimming pools yeah. that then also destroy the land. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Not a, not great. I love it. also because of the pollutants that are left behind <gasps> um, from coal mining as well and from coal ash jams, which we're going to touch on soon, um, then, you know, that could be leaching into the groundwater and leaching into the environment also. So having moving water is a better option usually for the pollution. But Flo are uh, doing work in these areas and so are environmental justice Australia and so environment Victoria so we have people who are looking out for it I feel like we need okay new plan mm-hmm, right new plan because I live here and I'm yeah. like Wee, a, a swimming lake yay that's so great that's so good for me personally um megaphone cars driving around <laughs> or you know that scene in Clockwork Orange where he's got like the eyes like yeah. taped open we just get a really big cinema Everyone from the valley has to go. It's compulsory, just like voting. Yeah. And you have to listen. Yeah, I see. Like, hey, do you want your rivers destroyed? Probably not. Let's do a vote. Like, how do you get. I think we all want to know, right? Like, when you're told in a way that's like accessible, then you're like, oh no, spaghettios. Like, that's so bad. You. How do. And I guess that's the incredible work that activists like Haley are doing, which I'm like, thank God people are working on this. But like, it's hard not to be a little overwhelmed by the size and magnitude of these right. holes and the problem to fill them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I am stressed. I, I know, <laughs> it so is stressed. really stressful. And there's so many factors to care about and to consider. So, like you say, thank fuck for activists. And yeah. Thank, yeah, thank gosh that people are doing the work. And it's like, we're even trying to do the work by... Pats on back for us. Pats yes, on back. To make this podcast and hopefully it's being made in an accessible way that makes people understand. I'm stressed about these holes. Yeah. But... Really bummed out. Yeah, it's, it's really depressing. And the fact that, you know, it's a, a catch-22, it seems. So we either lose this revolt system or we have like a, a large... Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Um, but thankfully, there are things happening. Um, there's surveys happening that are going to study these factors. We've touched on legacy issues before. So the legacy issues can include pollution. So and these are issues that we inherit from that's previous right. decisions. Thank you. Is that what that is? That is yeah. correct. Yeah. I, I chimed in. Well hopefully. done. Yes. <laughs> so we touched on those in episode one with Rhonda and the Mineland Rehabilitation Authority. But we're going to take a further look at some of the legacy issues from the perspective of Love flow. That. So one of the legacies of coal-fired power generation here in the Latrobe Valley is um, the pollution that we've been left with. And so that that shows itself in a number of ways. One of the ways is the um, coal ash dams that are now at each of the three mines in the Latrobe Valley. And a lot of these coal ash dams were created before there was great regulations. Um, And there still isn't world best practice regulations to keep us safe from the um, toxic elements inside these coal ash dams. Um, In in some instances, these coal ash dams are actually, actually leaching into our waterways, into our surface water and into our groundwater. So we really need to clean them up. 
if we don't clean them up, they're going to be left to be a problem, you know, in, in 70 to 100 years. They actually increase in toxicity. But the thing that we're really saying is there's actually opportunities for job creation in this. Coal ash can actually be reused. We need to make sure that it's actually safe for reuse. There's um, a couple of industries now here that are, are wanting like the Latrobe magnesium, wants to turn it into magnesium. Um, it can be turned into cementitious products like concrete. It needs to be proven that those things are safe before we introduce more industries into the Latrobe Valley. But if that is the case, then we could actually be creating jobs and we could be creating products. But we also could be establishing skills and building on the skills that we already have here to create jobs for workers and be experts in mine rehabilitation. So we've got these enormous problems here, but we're actually in some ways leading the world in thinking about how we're going to deal with this. We're ahead of a lot of other mines in terms of cleaning them up and we, we could really be doing an amazing job and be creating the te technical expertise that we can be sharing with other people around the country and around the world. To understand that clip properly, first we're going to have a have a little look at what is coal ash. I was going to say, yeah. that sounds gross and bad, but I don't know what it is. It, yeah. You know, when you cook potatoes on a fire and it gets that <laughs> fucked stuff, is, yeah. like, is it that? I love eating that stuff. But <laughs> you're not supposed to eat it? Well, that, that technically is potato ash. <laughs> Because oh, okay. yeah, see, so see, yeah, yeah, yeah so now. yeah, when you burn coal, it is it creates coal ash as a waste that's produced you know what I'm after the coal is burned. Right now, what that coal isn't ash. I guess I always thought that coal <laughs> was kind of like no. We ash. already learnt what coal was. It's like um, yeah, and it was like petrified wood and stuff. But yeah, like, yeah. It's also like kind of similar to briquette. It and is. Ash, it right? looks the same. The like, color in my brain, it's part of the same <laughs> food category of like. Grey coal thingies. I guess I can't argue with that. Like, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. It, it, it's, they're but both it's black that. or brown. And you or... can do charcoal paintings with them. I'm now yeah. realising charcoal also different. Yeah, well, it kind of is but isn't. But yeah, it's not. I don't want to get us off track. <laughs> what is coal? What is coal ash? <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a waste produced after coal is burnt and it contains fine particle pollution. By fine particle pollution, what I mean is... Not big. <laughs> No, small. it's very small. So some of the contaminants that are in coal ash include mercury, lead, and arsenic. Now, there's other things like I think silicone was something that I read that was in it and other fine particles. And um, what happens is that the coal ash is taken from the power station and it is stored in, well, in the Latrobe Valley instance anyway, it's stored in dams and water is added to it to stop it from like floating away. So basically it creates a slurry, a coal, oh, a coaly slurry. A coal slurry. Wait, so power stations, it's doing its thing. Mm -hmm. This is the byproduct of it. Is yep. someone physically taking it or is it like a pipe or something? Um, I don't know I the answer to that. I think it's a pipe or a conveyor belt. <clears throat> Hello, coal face listeners. This is Steph from the future past. The future from when we recorded the episode and the past from when you're listening to it. Ooh, that's a bit spooky. So, when I said that coal ash is taken from the power station, it wasn't abducted by aliens or anything, so what I should have actually said was, the coal ash from the power station is mixed with water, which forms a slurry that is piped to landfill sites near the power station and away from public view. The ash slurry then needs to be drained and dried out to either move to other landfill sites or expand the existing ash pits. If the pits aren't designed properly, then the ash water leaches out and can seep into groundwater and waterways, which is what is happening now in all three pits across the Latrobe Valley. Okay, so clarification editor Steph over and out. Now back to the rest of the episode. So the EPA is in 
is responsible for some of the regulations that are put forward about the safe management of um, coal ash dams. But the coal ash dams in the Latrobe Valley were created before there was a best practice. Oh, good, good, good. And even now that there is a best practice for Australia and for the world, they are not meeting up to those... Uh, those standards, I mean, of yeah. Course, of course. Why would they? No. <laughs> like that's, that doesn't seem like a type of thing we right? do around here. Exactly. There is a, a massive problem regarding the regulation. Am I drinking that cold ash? Like, should I not drink tap water? Don't, well, uh, you know, it's leaching into the groundwater. Leaching? Yes, Slurry. in some places. Death. <laughs> but oh like Haley said, God. it's going to be a problem in 70 to 100 years. I don't actually know how old the coal ash jams that we have are, but our power stations have been around for some time. So I'm guessing there is historic coal ash jams. I don't know if it's all going into the same thing. But basically, our regulation needs to be better in a nutshell. And then applied retroactively to the old dams. Right. That's so the thing, right? That's, and that's a oh rough God, position. God, how the fuck do you do that? This is the legacy coming into oh, it. Oh, Jesus. So um, the guidelines for managing coal ash are under landfill. So landfill, as you probably know, trash. is like our trash. <laughs> so how we deal with trash is not the same as how we deal with coal slurry. Like it's, you can't... They're different words. Right? They are different <laughs> words. But also like imagine if, you know, when you've, you've been cooking on the stove or whatever and you've got some like real oily water and, you, you know... Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm joking. I only you're like, you're like I know how to deal with oily that. things. But anyway... I can't just pour it in my bin because that creates like a real messy problem to deal with later. But I can just put rubbish in my bin and take it out. But anyway, they shouldn't be the same. It's not, not the, the same, same thing. This gross slurry yeah. and the trash trash, different trash. Totally different, totally different material and they need to, yeah, sort, need to be handled differently. So the, the legislation needs to change around that. And so, yeah, there's the risk, as we've touched on, of heavy metal and fine particle pollution leaching into the groundwater if it's not managed properly. And this is another area where there isn't any transparency in the management for coal ash dams. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? It's got to be positive if they won't tell you about it. Oh my God. So yeah, no, no accountability. So Flow in and Environmental Justice Victoria have released a report called When the Ash Settles, Cleaning Up Latrobe Valley's Toxic Coal Ash. Oh, congratulations whoever came up with that title. Great title. And like, can we steal it for our episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but we'll link to that in the show notes if you want to read more. Now they have done a super, super good job at making like the, you know, the heavy language version and the light language version. Oh, okay. So they well, swear way less in one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like they've made an accessible format document oh, so you can easily understand everything there. And yeah, none of, none of the coal, I think I touched on this already, but just in case, none of the coal ash jams in Latrobe Valley have been built for best practice because they were built before regulation. Once again, a fucking fistful of problems. Oh. <laughs> there goes by. I won't swear this episode. I've oh, just... yeah. You were doing really good. Up I, well, yeah. I think I maybe I counted a few. Um, yeah. So now we're going to go into another clip. So Haley's going to tell us some attitudes in the Latrobe Valley about rehabilitation. When we think about rehabilitating the Hazelwood mine, lots of people want an amenity. They want a place that they can use. But I think, you know, some of these sites uh, have quite a high pollution load from, you know, generations of, of coal-fired power pollution, coal ash pollution. If these areas couldn't be a public amenity or areas of them couldn't be what I hear is that people would be pretty happy with it also being used for power generation. If we could continue to provide power from these spaces, that would be all right too. All right. What I'm hearing is... Yes. Okay. I'm like, look, 
I like to dream big and I was hoping, just like Haley said, that this would be like an excellent fun time lake, like some kind of tourist thing, yeah. like a roller coaster, I don't know, something awesome, right? BMX track, I don't know, something cool. What we're maybe having to actually concede is that it's too gross and it would just have to be used for power generation because no one's going to want to have a picnic there. Yes, that's right. And uh, also the cumulative effect of filling all three of the pit lakes with water is likely going to destroy our water system. So there's, you know, we could maybe do Hazelwood, but still, where is the water going to come from for that? So yeah. that's the big problem. And so I don't I don't think, like, at the moment, what's on the table is the pit lakes. But I don't see that happening with all of these other factors. Yeah. I mean, I'm. it does feel like just, like, from a local sort of, like, pre-being educated about this a little bit more, I thought that that was definitely what was happening. Well, and they kind of presented it like, yes. Or at least that's how the bits that got through to me were communicated yes and i agree i think that is how it's being communicated because at the moment that is what the operators are willing to pay for and also i don't think that there's been a good other viable solution do you think it's also that it it, it's like hopeful like in terms of placating people down here as we essentially lose one of our primary industries and there's not a lot of like planning to fix that that the idea that hey hey yeah you aren't that anymore but hey you're gonna get a lake in a hundred years is I think that, that is it? hopeful yeah. too but yeah I do feel I still feel really good that the Mineland Rehabilitation Authority are going to look into these other factors but yeah. they've you know they've only got so much money to work with and that's something we don't know how much right. that's going to cost and like will change over time given exactly the, the government shifting I guess I just want to know like yeah, how long is it going to take to figure out? It just feels like we need to kind of act on this kind of now. It, it does, and you're like, yeah. Uh, it seems like a lot of lot of research. It, it it is so, but yeah, there are talks happening every so often about these things. But yeah, so that these are things, and, and the community is being asked about them. So um, that is very good. Um, that is very good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm getting all hot. So what are you going to talk about next? So uh, we're going to talk about pride in power generation there there was and there still is a lot of pride in the fact that we have provided power for our for our community and for the state and and i feel that and i feel that that's that's okay and we can have that pride but i also think that as a community we really need to start looking beyond what we have been and towards the future and what we can can be and what we can build here So I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment. And as we've been asking all of our participants in each episode, um, I asked what a just and fair transition looked like to Hayley. Transition to me is really about including all of the aspects. So it's, it's not just jobs, job for job, like for like. It's actually including the economic, the environmental and the social aspects of transition. A just transition really me to me means uh, focusing on those who are most uh, have been most impacted in our communities and, and not leaving anyone behind, trying to find solutions in a really holistic way um, to move through this energy, what is essentially an energy transition in our community to something that's a lot better and, and actually provides for people who have been left behind along the way. I really like to hear what people say about a just transition. Haley also shared some information that I did not know before that she has learnt from speaking to some Gunai Kurnai people, uh, which is what the Latrobe Valley was like before. One of the things that I've learned recently was a bit of an understanding from some Gunai Kurnai people and stories and, and pictures and things of what actually was in the Latrobe Valley before the power stations were built. 
And they were great big wetlands and marshes with some of the tallest flowering gum trees in the world. This place was essentially the lungs of the earth and the swamps were drained and then the coal was dug out. Yeah, and I think that, like, I, I try and just imagine that in, in when I'm thinking about beyond rehabilitation and, and what we can grow and create in this space, that this land wasn't always what we see now. It was something far more beautiful and and it can, it's never going to be the same. We can't, I, I don't think humans can possibly recreate the biodiversity that was here, you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, millions of years that that's been created. But we can try and heal this landscape. And I also I really believe that through healing the landscape, we can actually heal the people. How beautiful is that? And how sad is it to imagine what we have now versus something described as the lungs of the earth. <laughs> oh, and again, there's like fern tree gully, um, animals are falling. Yeah. Like anytime I hear about the destruction, like I know it's happening, but when it's like confronting, I'm just like immediately yeah. I'm dead. I can't it handle is. how evil we are. <laughs> I know. I always oh. think um, because I live near a pine plantation, so they essentially grow pine trees for X amount of years and then cut them all down, then plant um, blue gums there which grow pretty quickly and then cut them all down and just before they cut them all down it's the most amazing place there's like animals and there's just it's just really beautiful and then the destruction is just so obvious yeah and yeah I'm just <laughs> I think a lot about the like earlier we were talking about like the sacrifice of the like current people here I mm-hmm. guess and then it's like orders of magnitude worse because it wasn't even a choice for that sacrifice but just the sacrifice and the tragedy of what's happened i mean across the whole of australia but also here specifically on that land yeah the fact that it's like a fucking void is just so i mean it's borderline poetic but it's so upsetting i just i don't know what you do with that but it's like ugh. it is it is really really (laughs) really depressing but yeah i didn't want to leave this episode on a sad note so i think it's good to remember (laughs) the scope of time yeah. And that it, if something was different before, it's different now and it will be different again. So let's like all try and do our best to make sure that we have the best outcome and we can have something a beautiful and sustainable and yeah, That's not so horrible. <laughs> not horrible. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm not as hopeful as you, but I'm definitely keen to go for not horrible. Yes. Not horrible. Not horrible. That's the bar at the moment, people. <laughs> so I asked, worst. Um, I asked Hayley about her hopes for the future of the Latrobe Valley. Oh, thank God. My hopes for the future of the valley is that we really embrace this the move beyond coal and we start to take stock of what it is that we have here. We have amazing, you know, cultural diversity of all these people that have come and, and made this place what it is. Um, the skills, our natural resources and our environment. And we create new energy, new ways of being in a way that we're living in harmony with this place. Gippsland's quite connected, you know, the rivers that start here end up in the Gippsland Lakes and the Gippsland Lakes is a major tourist attraction for Victoria and, and indeed like people from around the world. If we could actually reimagine ourselves as a gateway to the lakes, we could be more than just some holes on the side of the highway. Oh, more than yeah. just some holes. How many people do we have to speak to that are like, let's reimagine ourselves as more than holes? I know, more than holes, more than cold. I definitely feel like that sentiment of like, it's like everyone's screaming. Yeah. It's like, we are more than coal. We are more than whole. <laughs> yeah. 
It absolutely is. Everyone we speak to literally says the same thing, paraphrased in a slightly different way. And I think that is like truly how we look forward. Um, we we do have we've got a lot of work to do in reimagining and a lot of work on the ground to, to make these things happen outside of our minds. <laughs> like outside of our minds, <laughs> but it makes me think about like the idea of even just calling us like the gateway to the least. I'm pretty sure someone else already is that, so they'll have to fight them for it. But like. <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, instead yeah. of being like, oh, you're from, like, Ghost Power Station Land, you were like, oh, gateway to the Gippsland Lakes or whatever. Like, beautiful. It sounds lovely. Power, not that I own a house, but if I ever did, because, like, the prices would go up. Right, and totally. And not in a housing crisis kind of yeah. way, but in, like, a sustainable and everyone's fine yeah. kind of way. I definitely agree with you there. Like, we could be... Let's... let's what could Just you... Just make it happen. What, what could our listeners... How do you reimagine yeah. the Latrobe Valley if you've got any hot takes? Yeah, what, leave it in the comments. <laughs> tell us what's cool to tell your friends of where you come from. Yes. So I asked Hayley where people can follow along with Flow and Environment Victoria. So this is how to do that. <laughs> this is how to do that. They also have Facebook pages. So if you're on the old Facebook, you can go there. You can also go on Instagram, but here are their websites. Yeah, so you can find uh, Friends of Latrobe Water at flowlatrobe.org and you can find Environment Victoria at environmentvictoria.org.au. So I've got to give a big thank you to Hayley Shostokas and Flo uh, for being so generous with their time. You can find our resources in the show notes for this episode. The music for Coalface is by Anonymous420 and Loyalty Free Music. The series is written, edited, produced by Josie Hess and Stephanie Sibrinskis. If you like what you heard, find us on Instagram at coalfacepod or send us an email to coalfacepodcast at gmail.com. Look out for the next episode of Coalface.